really I've only got two basic points, but this was some overflow from the previous lesson. Um, really it's part of that lesson, but uh, it's just one of those lessons that goes for quite a while. Um, it's a lot to it when we think about obedience, of course. But one of the biggest questions that we can ask is, you know, what's the point of this? Why am I doing this? Uh, if I don't know why I'm obeying God, there's no point in obeying when you think about it. I mean, yes, there are going to be some things that we don't know. But at the end of the day, I have to have an understanding of what I'm going to get out of this to some degree. And what I get out of it, of course, has a lot to do with what I put into it. Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians 10. And if somebody would read verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Go ahead and read verse 6 as well. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Okay. Uh, if you look back at verses 1 and 2, you can see that you know Paul is encouraging them uh, and trying to encourage them to think about the fact that you know he's not with them, but act as if he is with them. And the reason being is, again, we don't walk in the flesh. It's the sense of uh, having these things in the right and proper way. And really the first main thing of these two things in terms of rewards, what do I get out of obedience to the king? What are some things that we see here? Uh, it, it's a sense of, of distinction from the world and from the ways that, that the world thinks. Uh, the way that a kingdom citizen is going to live his or her life is according to the dictates of God's kingdom, not the dictates of this corrupted world. And so should we be surprised when we're thinking in a completely opposite way from someone out there in the world. Um, how often is it that we, we look at a decision that somebody makes out there in the world? Maybe we have a family member who is uh, either a fallen Christian or has never been a Christian, and they make a decision that we would never make, right? Sometimes we get shocked with those things, uh, but we have to realize, of course, that we're going to be different, right? When, when we think about this further, the weapons of our warfare, what, are we, what kind of imagery have we got in this passage? Yeah. Yeah, warring. Mm-hmm. And you think about what are wars typically fought over? Territory, Territory uh, goods, things. Uh, you know, and and, and I, I guess one of the examples we could think of. I mean, why why is our country so interested in you know our government? I should say so interested in the Middle East. Well, there's a lot of oil over there, you know. But at the same time, when we think about this in a in a spiritual sense we're not warring over things we're not warring over territory it's really when we're talking about 
if there is any territory, it's the territory of the heart, right? It's, it's a sense where we're called to fight this fight and know that this is not a carnal fight. What are some ways that we can get that mixed up? Is there a possibility that we begin to fight a spiritual battle in a carnal way? And, and it's interesting you bring up Galatians because later on that in that verse he says, you know, they they want you to be circumcised, you know, not for God's sake, but for their own sake. You know, they, they want you to be listening to them. And and even their motives were carnal, the Judaizing teachers. And so uh, that path leads to a path that doesn't have honor, that there is no distinction, there is no honor in that path where we conflate these things and we begin using carnal tactics uh, in spiritual ways. And, and I think we see that today. You know, um, rewards of obedience really comes down to understanding this is spiritual obedience. These are spiritual things. But I'll say a lot of the a lot of the grace only crowd, a lot of the grace unity faith, however you want to say it, faith alone. You know, uh, have you ever heard anybody say that I'm saved? You know, by faith alone, in Christ alone, you know, by grace alone. Yeah, it's like that's three alones to begin with. But then those same people will claim love and mercy and tolerance, and yet in the way that they react and the way that they behave to people is anything but tolerant. And so we don't see honor in that path. And in fact, here we're encouraged as Christians to pull down or cast down, verse 5, these arguments and every high thing. In fact, uh, if you remember in Titus chapter 1, I think it's Titus 1.9, that elders are called upon to, to uh, call down those who are teaching wrong and correct them and teach them in the right way. And so we're called to do that thing, and we have to think about this as indeed a battle and a fight. Um, and verse 6, I mean, I didn't even really include verse 6, but being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. The sense that we have to be ready to see the wicked punished, ultimately, right? There's the sense that we have to be willing to see God's justice done, and that's our place of honor. Um, the thought, again, I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but the thought that Christians are going to be called upon to judge the world. I don't know what all that means. I, it could just be a simple sense of us doing the right thing judges the world. Like Noah judged the, the world to be wrong and unrighteous simply by following God. Sometimes our obedience is going to set us at odds with the world. And so we have to know this. We have to know that we're going to be different. We have to know that we're going to be distinct. Uh, Jesus had this thought, uh, Galatians 1.4, gave himself for our sins that we might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We're still in that present evil age. Uh, we're in that same evil age that, and, and that's really just talking about our existence here on earth. We're to be delivered from that. 
we have honor and glory. Before I go any further, any questions or comments about that? So we have honor and glory in service to our king. We read from Romans 2. And we see that he gives eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. These are things that I think a, a, a month or two ago, Brother Gary had a really good lesson on this. These are things that we need to be striving for and seeking for. And I'm afraid that our society beats us down in the sense that you know the, the thought of glory, honor, and immortality, those are things that might be we might think of as prideful. Oh, I'm not looking for glory. I'm not looking for honor. And certainly, you know, if God wants to give me immortality, some Christians might think, if God, if I'm faithful, I hope that I'm, I'm found faithful to be in heaven someday. I don't think that's the kind of assurance that we find in the New Testament. Paul says, I've got that crown laid up. It's ready. We need to have that same kind of assurance. We need to have that same con- concept that says, you know, I know that my king wants me to have glory, honor, and immortality. And I know that I can seek after it because he's shown, shown that to me. And again, it goes back to redefining these terms. This is not glory that the world gives. This is not honor that the world gives. And certainly the world can't grant immortality. The glory that God gives are those things that we're, that we're looking for and seeking for in service to our king. Thoughts or questions? So it's a challenge every day because, again, we do have a lot of forces and and thoughts in this world that will try to make us seek for carnal glory or carnal honor. And we have to be very careful about that. And, of course, the key, patient continuance in doing good. The other aspect of rewards and obedience to the king, again, I get distinction, honor. I get all these good things from serving my king. I have a place prepared for me as well. A homeland. Some, of course, will say that the homeland of the kingdom is going to be a remade earth. That literally, they'll look at Revelation and say that New Jerusalem's going to come down, plop right down. You know, some people say in Jerusalem it's going to be remade. Jesus is going to literally come down, sit on the throne of David. Uh, Our premillennialist friends will have plenty of things to say about that. But we need to know something. God's creation, of course, was good, but man ruined it in his sin, so the earth is no longer a useful land for the king to reign over. Uh, This is a sense where this world, again, is decaying, it's dying. This is not the reward for us. We need to be looking for something greater, a better land. Andrew had a good lesson about that this morning, um, at least part of his lesson. But I want to look back at Hebrews 11 and verse 13. In the middle of that chapter, uh, up to the point of Abraham, he's saying, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. So we're seeking a homeland. We're seeking for a better land. Where does God reign? Where does God rule? Yeah. 
Heaven's his realm. Uh, and he rules everything, there's no doubt. In, in the greatest sense, though, what are, we, what are we called upon to allow God to reign in? In our hearts. We're, we're encouraged to let our bodies be a temple of the Spirit, to live and ha- abide in. And, and, and I think that's really what we're talking about here, is that they were looking for this place but I believe that place is, is already there for us to be a part of now. Yeah, you could say, in a sense, maybe they're looking toward heaven. And, of course, we look toward heaven. But you think of all the passages that depict God reigning in the human heart. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, he says, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Within you. The, the sense that the heart itself is the instrument by which God lives and abides in us. That's very important for us to understand. Because if that's not part of our understanding, we can easily get tricked into some of these notions, into some of these thoughts. Uh, again, in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, Paul says to the Christians there, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. I think about Jeremiah 30, where he says that they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them, and their laws I will write upon their inward parts. And so that that needs to be our mindset about this, is that the kingdom is not something in the future, of course. And, and I think most of us get that. Again, you know, we, we think the kingdom's here. The, king, the kingdom of God is, is, you know, Jesus is reigning right now. But do we also recognize the sense that the kingdom of God is, is still coming to others? Again, the distinction is between the domain of Christ, for example... And I think, you know, just one thing to, to recognize here. Let's just say this little guy is a king. Okay? The king, and let's just say this is his kingdom. You know, whatever. If that's the kingdom right there, it is distinct from the king. And if you remember, I, I mentioned this, I never put it on the, the PowerPoint, but there's a distinction even in the words in the Old Testament. There's a different word for the king himself and his authority and his rule versus the kingdom itself. Now, when we think about the kingdom, the domain, the people that he rules over, I do think in that sense, kingdom can equal the church because there's the sense that within that scope it's the same thing but there are times again where we see the term kingdom used that deals with the ruler and his authority so the sense is that of course the king his authority his rule of course goes beyond those things but at the same time, we need to see this distinction. Because until I let 
that king rule over me? Of course, I'm not a part of his kingdom, but I'm still under his rule, right? Because I'm still within the total aspect of it. You know, the other aspect of it is to understand that every person still has the kingdom coming to them. Again, you know, Jesus prays in Matthew 6 that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I grew up just being told that we can't pray that prayer anymore. That we just can't because the kingdom's already come. Well, yes, the kingdom has come. But not everybody is under the authority or willingly under the authority of the king being Christ. I hope that makes sense. I'm open to any questions or comments about that. I do think we need to see that distinction. Yes, yes. But we still are under the ultimate authority of God. And that's why, you know, for example, someone who is in an unscriptural marriage, but they're not Christians yet, they're still under what God has set up in terms of marriage. Uh, and, And so if they're in an unscriptural marriage, they need to get out of that unscriptural marriage. And being baptized does not, you know, does not change that. We need to really think about this in a, in a current sense as well. Again, there's the sense that we obey the king. And I don't know why I don't have this on my PowerPoint, but we'll turn to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. I want us to just think about the invitation to be part of the kingdom. And I think we probably will uh, end up finishing up a little early today. But, of course, I'm, I'm open to any questions that we have. But in Revelation 22 and verse 14, look at what is said here. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murders and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Jesus, of course, in in verse 16 says, I've sent you this letter, essentially. But look in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That invitation, of course, is a present invitation. And when you look back at chapter 1, and you look at the description of the new Jerusalem, and what that is, and what that means. Uh, I, I suppose we could look at it a little bit, but when you see the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down, I would, I would venture to say that pretty much everything we see about New Jerusalem, there is at least one aspect of it that we can enjoy as being part of the kingdom of Christ right now. I believe that its fullest fulfillment is going to be in terms of heaven. That's going to be the ultimate fulfillment of it. But we need to know that the kingdom is a present reality that we can become a part of today. And we need to be willing to to encourage others to to see that as well. So when we look at verses 14, those who do his commandments, again, back to the obedience aspect, that they may have the right to do what? Verse 14, 
Yeah, to enter through the gates of the city, the right to the tree of life. Guess what? Even Adam and Eve weren't granted that right. You know, the whole Bible is about getting us back into that, that first relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. But you know what? The rewards that we have for that under what we have now are even better than what Adam and Eve had. That idea of living forever, having access to it. But we see a distinction again, right? Outside are people that, don't, that, that are not going to see it properly. And uh, again, we could look. We look back in chapter 21 and verse 8 the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have that part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Again, the fullest extent of this is yet to come. But, uh, but I do think when we, when we see these things, we see that we do have indeed a homeland. Comments or questions? All right, just to quickly over, over kind of review what we looked at today, we need to obey the king in a spiritual way. We need to obey the king acknowledging his priorities. We need to obey him as a kingdom citizen. That's really what we need to be thinking of uh, in terms of ourselves. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, uh, specifically here and now the kingdom of Christ. And we need to remember these rewards and appreciate them.